the decision point is back with Anand Naduri. He is traveling. Anand has a makeshift setup, but he is so passionate about doing this show because of you. Our audience has been letting Anand know on Twitter. So many of you are now following him at Nanduri NFL, N-A-N-D-U-R-I NFL, giving him your thoughts on the show, and it's been hugely positive. A few buzzards. The buzzards, feel free to reach out too. Everything counts. Let Anand know what you think of the show. He's just basking in this glory of having his voice heard by so many. And we're going to take this opportunity to talk about Cam Newton today. But after that, we're going to talk about the teams that are in the worst shape around the NFL. There's a handful of teams that are going in the wrong direction. And the Lions are not one of them. The Lions may be one of the worst teams in the league, but they actually are heading in the right direction. We're talking about the worst teams that are also heading in the wrong direction. So we've been waiting for the show. It's been on the show sheet for a while. There's been big breaking news items that have right that have usurped this particular item on the show sheet. But now, now today, now today, with only the Cam Newton news rocking the fantasy community, we'll talk about Cam, and then we're getting right into the worst of the worst. So. Let's get it over with. Cam Newton released, paving the way for Mac Jones. Are you surprised? I'm surprised about two things. Am I surprised that they released him in the manner that they did? Yes. Because even as a backup, Cam Newton is better than Brian Hoyer. And, and I, think, I, I think we can all agree on that. But someone brought up a really interesting point yesterday that I hadn't really considered. And I think it speaks to Belichick as a coach and how their front office works. Um... The big issue with Cam being behind Mac Jones is if the kid starts to struggle, people in New England are going to ask why you wouldn't put Cam back in because they think they can win now, right? And Mac Jones just needs time. Like At some point, you just got to take the hits and take the reps. And I think their course of action was twofold. One, it's becoming painfully clear. If you're paying attention, if you've watched the roster cuts, anything. If you are unvaccinated, yes, in theory, in theory, it shouldn't affect whether or not teams are interested in you. Uh, it, it, it's a, impacting it in a big, big way. I mean, Urban got caught yesterday saying that, you know, he, there was absolutely a discussion. And the NFLPA will get involved with that, and that's a different story. But I think a vaccinated Cam Newton starts for New England week one. I do, because if not, he, he didn't lose that job. Uh, he, Mac Jones didn't win that job as much as Cam Newton opened the door for him to take it. And so... I'm very surprised that they let him go because I think he would be a solid backup, but I understand the rationale of we don't want a former MVP breathing down the neck of our, you know, 21, 22-year-old guy that, that's taking the field for the first time. So, I mean, there's going to be no pressure for Brian Hoyer to step in for Mac Jones, and I think that that was their thought process. But I, I thought that that decision-making on Cam's part was very odd because it's very clear if you're unvaccinated – your role on a football team right now is up in the air. It doesn't matter who you are. I think Cam Newton has lost the passion for the game. I really do. I think that's what it's all about. I think he's been losing the passion for a while. I think that losing that Super Bowl to Denver took something out of him. Hurting his shoulder took something out of him. And at some point, he looked around the league and realized, oh, not only am I not the best, I'm also no longer the most talented. Because for many years... He could at least look around the league and say, I may not have the best numbers and we may not have won the Super Bowl, but
but I have the most talent of any quarterback. If you were going to build a quarterback in a lab, I would step out of the door to that chamber. Not so sure anymore. I think that he looked around the league a couple of years ago and that confidence just drained from him and it stopped being fun. At some point, with injuries and losing, the game stopped being fun. I think the moment the game stopped being fun, the passion started to wane. And anybody that's been great at anything can tell you this. As soon as something happens where you can't do whatever it is you do, a baseball player can't hit a baseball, a basketball player can't dribble a basketball, a football player can't throw a football, right? For an extended period of time to rehab an injury, it wears on you, right? And obviously, NFL athletes mentally have to be ridiculously tough, and Cam is one of those guys. But at some point, your body just starts to break down. There are only so many hits you can take, right? And one of the reasons we laud Brady is he he doesn't take those hits, right? You saw him last year a couple of times where he realizes I'm 42, 43 years old. I'm going to throw this ball away, live to fight another down, and not take the hit that a Matthew Stafford or you know an Andy Dalton or, or whoever else is willing to take, right? A big part of this is preserving your body, and it's the reason that we worry sometimes about guys that come in with a profile somewhat like a Cam, like a Lamar Jackson. The question is, he's going to take more hits than an average quarterback. What hit will be his last? And he does a really great job of avoiding contact in a major way. But Cam was diving into piles on fourth and one. Like, they did not hesitate to use Cam Newton like a fullback. And at some point, your body just can't take that, right? Even if you're built like Cam at 6'5", 260, or whatever it is he played at. I mean, the dude is diesel. Nobody that's ever played quarterback has looked like that. And at some point, you've got to kind of come to the, the realization that, you know, there's only kind of one or two avenues for Cam Newton to start football games this year, barring injury. And I, I think that, that at some point, he's got to recognize that either it, it's tough to, to go from MVP to not the guy. Like, you, you just don't see this very often, right? Like, Matt Ryan won MVP, and nobody's discussing, you know, him not being a starting caliber NFL quarterback a few years later. That's the discussion we're having with Cam Newton. And it's just so odd because what do you do, right? You can't, it's, it's not like he's a valuable trade asset. It's not like you could get something back for him. Um, I just, I, short of, you know, going to, to Houston or, or, you know, reuniting with Rivera in Washington, I, I don't know where that starting job is going to come from, but I know that he believes in himself to be a top 32 NFL quarterback and believes he deserves a shot at a job. So I don't know that he's going to concede, quote unquote, to a backup role yet. And that's kind of the weird position that you're in. If you are a very talented, unvaccinated player at the moment, there are teams that just won't even consider signing him, not even as a backup. And that's kind of just the chess moves that are being made right now is you have to be ridiculously talented as an unvaccinated player for anyone to even care about you right now. And that's it's, it's wild that that's where we've gotten to, but that's where we are. Well, the locker room can decide these things. Yeah. If Kirk Cousins is the only unvaccinated player in a team meeting and there's a breakthrough case in that meeting and another player catches it, well, they could look at Kirk Cousins and say, this is on you. You did this to me. And there could be a resentment there. But the funny thing happens when you're the team leader, there's a lot more leeway and there's a lot less resentment. If a starter has to miss games because of a backup player. Yeah, that's where you're going to see a lot of madness. Then you're talking about a whole new level of animosity that is going to 
infect the locker room. Well, I think the other thing too, right, is Matt, you got to remember, there was a week that the Browns didn't have damn near any receivers. There was a week last year where the Broncos started a wide receiver from their practice squad at quarterback. Like, you you guys have to understand, just because we have kind of made our peace with it and been done with it, right? Get the vaccine, don't get the vaccine, stop caring, whatever it is our personal feelings are about this. The NFL has made it clear at this point, either get the vaccine or you are a liability to your team. That's just the way that the rules are drawn up right now. And so when you have a Kirk Cousins that comes out and publicly takes a stance saying, I will not get it, right? When we talked to you guys a while back about why Dak Prescott was worth the money, one of the major things that we brought up is he unites an organization. It's one voice. He is echoing what's coming from Jerry Jones. You can win that way, right? Now you have a Minnesota Vikings organization. Look, we, we raved about Rick Spielman. He did everything right, everything that you could ask a general manager to do. He has no control over this. What do you do? Let's say, hypothetically, Kirk Cousins catches COVID and gives it to the entire quarterback room. What are you going to do? It doesn't matter if he even, the thing is, it doesn't even matter if he ever actually gets sick. If he's asymptomatic and gives it to other people, everybody in that room is considered a close contact. They miss a game. You miss the playoffs because of it. Now that resentment's going to set in because, like we said, as a team, you've wasted a year. You only have so many of them, right? Like, I, I just, I don't know, I don't know how you're going to go about life in the NFL as an unvaccinated player. I, I, Isaiah McKenzie is the perfect example, right? I, I mean, he got fined, and you saw him go get the shot immediately. I think they're they're not necessarily going to mandate it ever, but they're going to make it hard as hell for anybody that is not vaccinated to even stay in the league. So I, make whatever decision you're comfortable making, but at the same time, my God, like it's going to be tough out there if you're Kirk Cousins or Cam Newton. If you're Kirk Cousins too? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, he publicly took an, uh, like an I'm not getting vaccinated. The thing is, you know, you get 17 games now, you get an extra game, but I just don't know how many games you can afford to be without your starting quarterback or, or running back or wide receiver or star edge rusher for. God forbid somebody catches it and spreads it to everybody. I mean, you're forfeiting a game. We, luckily, that didn't happen to anyone last year. But, I mean, I'm saying these are things that are in play here. So uh, it's it's not going to be ruled a no contest anymore like it would have been last year. This year, it's a straight-up loss. So I don't know what to tell you if, if that's the if that's where they're headed with all of this, right? Like just from a procedural standpoint, as a GM, you have no control over something like this. As a head coach, you have no control over something like this, right? You can't force somebody to get a needle stuck in their body. But they're going to make it as difficult as humanly possible to stick in the league if you're unvaccinated. That's pretty much what I've gathered from all of this. Why did New England sign Cam Newton in the first place? Why would you bring in a player who can't help you win a Super Bowl. Cam Newton in 2020 was not capable of leading a team to a Super Bowl. So if it's Super Bowl or get the highest draft pick possible, what is the point of bringing in a Cam Newton? What is the point of bringing in an Andy Dalton unless you're a team that is built to win now? I think the the fallacy for a long time was, oh, we need these kids to sit. Right, we need we need our rookie quarterback to sit and learn. Any more like high school offenses look like college offenses. College offenses look like pro offenses more than ever before. And so these kids are picking stuff up really quickly, right? Like I think a big part of the reason the Bears took Justin Fields one they they got him where they wanted him, right? But at the same time, Matt Nagy runs a 
variation of the same kind of spread concept that Ryan Day runs at Ohio State. It's kind of a mesh of it's kind of a mesh of air raid, power spread, and a traditional spread, right? Like they've they've brought them all together. And a lot of this stuff that Justin saw at Ohio State, he's gonna see in Chicago. And so once you kind of build a build an offense, right, you can find somebody that suits him. Trey Lance is gonna add a really fun dimension to Kyle Shanahan's offense in San Francisco. Mac Jones, right? Is there anybody that profiles more like and and you hate to do this, right? But he kind of feels like a he fits the mold of a Tom Brady type player. He's not going to be Brady. Nobody's Brady, right? But it, not super mobile, ultra accurate to every area of the field, right? Just seems to find a way when things break down. It, it, it's it's very Brady esque, right? And I think that a lot of these guys are trying to find their version of their guy. I think the reason New England signed Cam Newton is you have to show your fan base that you care in some capacity. And I think Belichick knew that they weren't going to win a lot of games with all of the opt-outs. I think that he had something to do with it. That's just my two cents. But also, you know, every we all think that anything Belichick does is galaxy brain because that's just, you know, you win seven Super Bowls. You win six Super Bowls. Right. You assume that everything's a galaxy brain move. Well, they didn't, they didn't have to pay Cam Newton much. And you could argue, well, Cam Newton is the perfect quarterback to tank with. You have a quarterback that shows the fan base a brand name when yeah. you know and your staff knows behind the scenes that have been evaluating this player over the last couple of years. Oh, no, he hasn't got it anymore. He's not accurate enough to power our offense to a Super Bowl. I think the, the other thing, too, is he was set up to fail in New England, and I think he knew that. Um, the O-line was, was good, but the, the weapons were just, I mean, horrendous. Last year, I, I, I mean, outside of people that play fantasy football and people in New England, nobody knew who any of those receivers were, not, not a soul. And so when you try to bridge the gap, so to speak, right, because they knew Cam Newton wasn't going to be the long term answer. It was just a fun, fun little side project to get the fans engaged in a season where essentially they know they're going nowhere. That's it. That's it. Right? That, that's really what it was. Cam Newton served his purpose. We all have a part Perfectly. to play in this story. This was Cam Newton's part to play, and once it was clear that Mac Jones was capable of leading this offense, yeah, matriculating the ball down the field, sustaining drives, scoring points in week one, his job was done. That's the problem, right? That's, that's really where the, the whole unvaccinated, vaccinated thing happens, is if you miss time, someone's just going to come take your spot. Like There are plenty of talented guys in the NFL. Mac Jones doesn't get this shot unless Cam Newton misses time. Like, they had penciled him in week one. Belichick said, all preseason, Cam's our starter. You opened the door for this, right? And so the thing is, the Cam Newton New England story didn't have to end when it did. It ended because he made the choice not to do something that we all have the choice to do right now. So I I sympathize with him because I think this is his last real shot at starting in the league. This is why I believe he's lost some passion, because he had to know this. He had to see this coming. They drafted Mac Jones in the first round. The way to respond to that would be, I'm going to be the first one in the facility and the last one out. I'm going to create a contest between myself and Mac Jones. Who can get to the facility first? Who can play the best in practice? And who's the last to leave? Instead of just ceding all the political capital to Mac Jones, letting him always be the first one to practice, letting him always be the last one to leave, opening the door for him to shine in drills. Yeah. 
he knew he knew what he needed to do to keep that job and one of those things was to get vaccinated if you wanted to secure your spot that was one of many things he could have done over the last three months and this is why he was the perfect fall guy yeah he only gave them 17 reasons to cut him he gave him plenty of reasons to cut him beyond not getting vaccinated this played out so perfectly for bill belichick it's like he scripted it he and mcdaniels are sitting there in his office twisting their mustaches patting each other on the back saying this worked out so much better than we even drew it up a year ago. Yeah, yeah. They let Mac Jones fall to us in the draft. Cam Newton is giving us easy outs to cut him early. Not to mention Mac Jones' is, uh, coach at Bama is one of Belichick's best friends. I mean, nobody probably, nobody in the NFL probably knew more about Mac Jones going into that draft than Bill. So, uh, I mean, it, it played out perfectly for them. I don't think that it's hyperbole to say that Mac Jones is the closest thing to Tom Brady that's coming to the league since Tom Brady. Yeah. Like, no one is Tom Brady, but if you had to create another quarterback in a lab, not that would have all the best physical tools, but would be wired like Tom Brady, Yeah. well, that guy would be Mac Jones. Right, because, I mean, the thing is, Brady got lost and got a bunch of other stuff that he had to do, right? Um, he got lost in the depth chart at Michigan, I think Drew Henson at one point took his job at Michigan. Like, like it's it's very the script is very similar, right? The only difference is Mac Jones came in and won a national championship at Alabama, whereas Tom Brady came in and won a Super Bowl in New England. Like, like the script is very very similar for Mac Jones and Tom Brady. The script started a little bit earlier for Mac Jones, right? Than Tom Brady because Tom Brady came into the league as a sixth rounder, Mac Jones coming in as a first rounder. But what Mac Jones is essentially acting as if he's a sixth rounder. He's waking up every morning pretending he's able to delude himself into thinking, I'm a sixth rounder. Yeah. So he's acting like a sixth rounder at every step. And that is the great talent curse. When you are the best of the best, the most physically equipped player, it is impossible, emotionally and mentally impossible to work as hard as someone who has something to prove that's not as talented with something to prove to the world yeah cam newton came into the league as a national champion and first overall pick and as the essentially the prototype of what the new quarterback could look like right right like he was the unicorn right there's no way that guy with those gifts could even find a way to delude himself into thinking that he needs to show up first you could never ask him to rewire his brain to that place. It's not possible. Because, I mean, the thing is, right, if you follow Cam Newton's career arc, he was Tebow's backup at Florida, had some off-the-field stuff happen, transferred to Blinn Junior College, wins a national championship, goes to Auburn one year, wins a national championship. I mean, I think he was a four- or five-star recruit coming out of high school. Like, like everybody knew who Cam Newton was, right? Mac Jones, for a while, was just a guy that was buried on Alabama's depth chart. And... Now to look at him as national champion, top 15 draft pick, New England's starting quarterback day one, by the way. That is a big accomplishment. Nobody's really talking about that portion of it. To start day one for Bill Belichick is a big deal because he's asking you to do a lot. And then on top of all of that, you're essentially replacing Tom Brady. And the kid has taken it all in stride. Put together probably the best preseason we've ever seen. Granted, it's preseason. Who cares? But... It shows me that he's made of the stuff that is required to win long-term, right? 
this isn't like New England's reclamation project with all these guys is not a short term gig. He's Bill's gearing up for the next 10 to 15 years, whether he's there or not. He's going to build out this roster around Mac to suit his strengths. And I think a big part of that was, you know, any young quarterback's best friend is a tight end. Well, he's got two great ones, right? They they did as much as they could to make his job as simple as humanly possible. The offensive line's great. The running back room's great. The tight ends are great. Yeah, there, there's, there's something to be desired for your actual wide receivers, but they're not going to ask him to do everything all at once. And I think that's part of what makes New England successful is they're not going to put it. I mean, they didn't put everything on Cam last year. So when you have an organization that's willing to give you the keys that early, I think it says a lot, one, about how well you're doing, but also, two about, you know, how much Belichick believes in the kid. And be careful overdrafting him in seasonal leagues. I love him for dynasty, but the Patriots have decided the way to win in today's NFL is to take advantage of all these defenses playing nickel and dime as their base package. Yep. Teams, they're not carrying as many linebackers anymore. They're carrying more safeties, more cornerbacks. Bill Belichick sees this. He's thinking, wait, they're playing nickel as a base. So if you're going to come at me with nickel and dime, and Nick Saban has talked about this. Nick Saban has actually gone to social media and explained how you can use 12 personnel to beat modern defenses at both the college and the professional level. Bill Belichick has internalized that. He is determined to execute it by bringing in Hunter Henry, bringing in John U. Smith, carrying four running backs. Two of them are 200-plus pounds <laughs> and implementing a bully ball strategy to win games. We're going to run the ball as much as the Ravens, and we're going to target the short and intermediate quadrants of the football field with our passing game. We're going to be super efficient. We're going to slow the game down. And we're going to win this with old-fashioned football in a way that's going to be a lot easier than it was 10 years ago when defensive personnel was more geared to stop the run and to stop tight ends. Now, with all these defenses designed to stop spread offenses, he's making it difficult for them to prepare for the Patriots when they show up on the schedule with a completely different look than the other 31 teams. Yeah, and, and it's going to be really difficult for D coordinators, too, because they don't just have one of those guys. They have two of those guys. It's one thing if you run out two tight ends, and one's a pass catcher and one's a blocker. John U. Smith can run, man. Yeah. Hunter Henry can run. Like, you're not going to stick a slot corner on either of them. They're going to get ran off the field. Like, it's going to be bad. They're just going to body and bully slot corners and safeties all day. And I think that that's part of Mac's progression is make life super easy for him, right? They're throwing it back to the Gronkowski and Hernandez days where, you know, yeah, Brady had Welker and all those other guys. But, I mean, those two tight ends just wreaked havoc for everybody. And I think Bill kind of saw the opportunity in a softer market where people didn't have money to spend one. And two, you know, you have tight ends that run routes like wide receivers in those two. Right. There was a lack of appreciation for the tight end position this offseason. And he capitalized. He said, you know what? We're actually in the market for these two-way tight ends. And if you're going to give us the two best on the market, we'll take them. At a discount, yes, please. Because, I mean, I think they're paying the two of them collectively less than Kenny Galladay is making. Now, you tell me which, which you would rather have, right? And from, a, from a construction standpoint. Who do you think does it better, the Patriots or the Giants? Come on. Well, <laughs> Come on. <laughs> 
right? Unless it's a first-round pick where the Patriots are famously awful at drafting in day one and two, I take the Patriots every time. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that the, the way that they attacked free agency was so interesting to me. Never, ever have they been the big free agent spenders in the market. And they saw market inefficiency and just said, screw it. We'll be those people. They've mastered, we, we talked about this a few episodes ago, they've mastered the art of zagging when other people zig, right? So if you want to run a spread offense, they're going to find something that stops it. Once you figure that defense out, they're going to switch to something else. Once you figure their offense and power run game out, they're going to spread you out. They're going to do whatever it is the market dictates is the easiest way to beat somebody. And right now the market is dictating the tight ends are undervalued. And so we're going to go load up on the two best ones on the market. You can have all of the wide receivers. We're just going to run our offense through running backs and tight ends. Good luck. Stephon Gilmore, JC Jackson, Jonathan Jones. Show me a better one through three cornerback, right? Show me a better top of the depth chart at cornerback. I don't think there is one. I, I, I don't think there is one. Um, last year's Rams may have had an argument, but, you know, Losing a couple guys, uh, losing Troy Hill was a big one. I, I Yeah, I think especially because guys will take discounts to stay in New England. I'm interested to see if Gilmore is there by the end of the year, though, because he wants a new deal, and I don't think they're going to give it to him. So I'm interested to see if Gilmore is there long term. But, I mean, if they find a way to keep him, look out. Because, I mean, the offense doesn't have to do a whole lot with the defense looking like it does. Yeah, the Patriots are going to be fascinating to watch this year. I can't wait to watch these games. They're going to be low scoring. And the teams that have implemented this blueprint have had mobile quarterbacks like the Ravens. So the Patriots are trying to do it with more of a computer at quarterback who's just not turning the ball over and constantly finding whoever's open. And more often than not, it's going to be a tight end or a running back just not putting the ball in dangerous situations so limiting turnovers it's such a throwback style of winning where they're zagging on offense to just do what the other teams are not doing to catch opposing defenses off guard and then they're adjusting to what all the offenses are doing and they're designing their defense specifically to stop the prevalent scheme of the day right and I just keep going back to that Ram Super Bowl when that's exactly what they did the popular scheme of the day was 11 personnel And they designed a scheme specifically designed to stop that particular personnel package. And McVay refused to pivot. Whereas now Belichick is like water. He's just flowing to the area of the field where he perceives a weakness. And often comes down to one player. There's 11 players on the field. And what the Patriots have done is isolate that one player and say, this is the worst player on defense. This is the least talented player least impactful player on the opposing defense. And oftentimes, it's a slot corner. Yeah. And that's what Bill Belichick has pinpointed. He said, listen, in the past, it had been like a middle linebacker, right? A slow middle linebacker. How do we exploit that slow middle linebacker? Well, we flood the zone with wide receivers, and that slow middle linebacker can't keep up with a wide receiver or a super athletic tight end. And that's how we'll exploit opposing defenses. Now, what Bill Belichick is seeing is they've swapped out the linebacker for a below-replacement slot corner Yeah, in a lot of cases. And that's the position we're going to exploit. How do we exploit that guy? Not with a receiver. We exploit him with Jonu Smith. And the thing is, historically, there's been one team that gets... Denver, obviously, while Peyton was there, 
there's been one team that gives New England trouble, and it's Baltimore. And I think a big part of that is that they have very malleable defensive pieces all the time, right? Like Marlon Humphrey is one of the few corners in the league that can bump inside to the slot and cover anybody. They have their you need a um, you need a chess piece on defense to counteract stuff like this because you're you're not going to see an offense like New England every week. You can prepare for everybody else like everybody else, right? But you need a Derwin James, you need a Marlon Humphrey, you need a Jalen Ramsey, you need somebody that you can just say, "Hey, go cover that guy," and they can do it. And it doesn't matter who that guy is. And I think with Stephon Gilmore, New England has this this chess piece that they know. He's going to lock down anybody that we that we put on that side, right? And then with J.C. Jackson on the other side playing like he's been playing, right? What do you? How do you beat New England? The thing is, you're just going to have to you're going to have to outlast them. They're going to run clock on you all game. They're going to play sound defense. They're going to do their best not to turn the ball over. It's it is like you said earlier. It's super throwback offense, and you know, like who knows how well it's going to work or not work. Right. I mean, it could all fall apart by week four and they've scrapped it and they've gone full spread. Who know? Like we're just we're guesstimating here based on what they've done in the past. Right. Like like the power run game should not have been a thing in 2019. They ran over everybody in the playoffs with it. Like, like uh, Sony Michelle won MVP of the Super Bowl. Like who saw that coming? Right. And, and now you're seeing it implemented in, in various situations, right? A big part of what Brady does best, and I think that what they're going to try to transfer to Mac Jones, is he knows when he doesn't need to do too much. They were beating the hell out of the Chiefs on the, on the defensive side of the ball just because Casey had no alignment. They ran Leonard Fournette a bedillion times in the Super Bowl, right? Like, like, there are multiple ways to win an individual game. Now, can you sustain that over 17 or 20 games? We'll find out. We'll find out. Because they had, they have the stable of running backs. They have the people to do it. And I think that when you kind of, going back to our earlier discussion, when you kind of look at, you know, where can a Cam Newton bring an impact to a team, right? It's not a New England. Like, they're not going to get the value out of him that they're going to get out of a Mac Jones. I think you have to look to a Houston or a Washington or something, somebody in that vein that needs the shot in the arm on offense, right? Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to keep you in a lot of games. He's also going to lose you a lot of games, right? Cam Newton is a much steadier presence than a Fitzpatrick. And if they think that defense is good enough, and if they think that revamped offense is good enough, I think that's what you do. You go out and get a Cam Newton. He loves Rivera. Rivera loves him. I think that makes sense. Or Houston, which, good God, what a disaster. Like, I don't even know where to start with them. I think those are your two options. If you're projecting Mac Jones this year, you got to look at 2003 Tom Brady when his primary receiver was Deion Branch. On the other side was David Givens. With David Patton in the slot. Yeah, David Patton. Right? David Patton and Troy Brown. Those were the four receivers. With Antoine Smith and Kevin Falk. Where Kevin Falk is in that James White role. And what did Tom Brady put up in that offense? 3,600 yards, 23 touchdowns. Like, I think that's what you can expect from Mac Jones. Nothing exceptional, but that should be the expectation. I think if if he hits about 3,500 yards and 20-plus touchdowns, I'd say... I think you could say that that's a success. The big question for me is going to be how efficient can he be when he's throwing, right? Because New England, I don't think they're going to throw the ball over the yard. I don't think they're going to do that to him. But how efficient can he be, right? We saw the flashes in Burrow last year, but they asked him to throw the ball 40 times a game, right? It's it's easier to see those flashes when you get those opportunities. My question is how efficient will Mac Jones be within what they ask him to do? Because they're not going to ask him to chuck the ball deep 30 times a game. It's just not his game. 
and they're not built to do it. They're not going to try and reinvent the wheel here. They know their run game is good. They know their offensive line is good. They know their tight ends are good. They're not going to mess around and do crazy and wacky things. They're just going to try and beat you with the guys that they have. They're going to figure out by week five or six just how good that team can be. And I think when you project Mac, could he hit 4,000? Maybe. I don't see it. Um, maybe that addition to that 17th game gets him there, but I don't see it. Um, 25-ish touchdowns seems perfectly reasonable. Now, I don't think it gets to 25 touchdowns. I think 3,500 yards, 20 touchdowns is what you want. But I think what you're going to see is something like five interceptions. I think that's the thing. Yeah. It's going to be like 20 touchdowns, five interceptions, 3,500 yards. In a 16-game season, we'll have to recalibrate all our thinking for 17 games yeah. in the years ahead. So this is not about, oh, you need to go get Mac Jones in fantasy football. No. I'm interested in two players for fantasy football. It's Damian Harris and it's Jacoby Myers. Mm. Damian Harris is not going to get the target volume that you want because even if James White goes down, it's going to be J.J. Taylor. Yeah. So I don't love Damian Harris as anything more than a depth back, like your third or fourth running back at the end of the dead zone. But Jacoby Myers, he's a real threat to put up like 80 receptions and be the guy, right, to be the Dion Branch. And the thing is, they're always going to come out of nowhere in New England, for the most part. Yeah. Like, Welker came out of nowhere. Edelman came out of nowhere. It's not like we were projecting, oh, Edelman's going to have this 1,200-yard season, right? I think when you when you kind of look forward with New England, it makes sense that Myers would be the guy. Because it's very clearly not Nikhil Harry, right? Like, there are guys that break out in year four and five. There are not a lot of them. Devontae Parker is an example, I guess. Like, he, he sort of broke out late. Oh, he did break out late, yeah. Nikhil Harry just does not look like he belongs. Like, like he just doesn't look like he belongs. And I, if, if I were to tie my fate to one of them, I think Jacoby Myers is that guy. Because um, the, the most important thing playing fantasy is you need opportunity. And Jacoby Myers is going to have the opportunity. That's, that's all you can ask for. What he does with them and how efficient Mac is with that is up for debate, right? Like, like we're, n- we're not going to know that until we see it live. Um, but I think that he's somebody you can get for not an expensive price that may, on the upside, be worth it. Mac Jones is a guy you want in best ball and as your third quarterback in super flex. So the Patriots are just fascinating. They lose Tom Brady and they're rebuilding on the fly. We love the teams that can rebuild on the fly. It's something we celebrate on this show. There are some teams, however, that have failed to rebuild it all. Or there are some teams that have just passed the window for rebuilding on the fly and have had to do a proper rebuild and have either not rebuilt successfully thinking of the Raiders, and when you look at the worst teams in the league, I'm looking at the Lions thinking, okay, they're rebuilding the right way, but then you also have the Falcons, who don't seem to know that they're in the midst of a rebuild, even though they actually are, and the Texans, who have to know that they're in a rebuild, but don't seem to know how to do it. Yeah, I, I mean, let's let's dive into Houston first, because I think that's the most, of, of any team that is going in any direction, if KC is pointed firmly upward, I cannot even begin to explain to you what's going on in Houston. I mean, okay, let's let's break this down. Deshaun Watson, who we all think is a top five quarterback, off-field stuff aside. Matt, what was their record with him last year? It's not good. I think they were 4-12. and 12. They won four games and lost 12 last year. Okay, and that's with Deshaun Watson. Right. You are telling me now that your starting quarterback is either going to be 
Tyrod Taylor, Davis Mills, that's below average. Your running back group is maybe average. Your O-line is not great. Your receiving situation, not great. Mm -mm. Your defensive line, lost J.J. Watt, probably not ideal. Your linebackers, meh. Your secondary, meh. What is there to be young and excited about on this roster? The coaching staff? I don't know. Nick Casario? Like, what is going... Okay, there's nobody young that you're excited about. There's nobody old and established that's good. There is no redeemable part of this roster that makes any semblance of sense to me. Nothing about this makes any kind of sense. Because if you're going to tank, right, then give the job to Davis Mills and figure out if you have a quarterback. Right. Just tank. Right. Right? Why is Tyrod Taylor there? Like, what is going on here? What are you doing? Like... I do not, for the life of me, understand anything that's going on in there. We can we can go at, at some other point and talk about the Jack Easterby EVP of football operations. What do you mean at some other point? This is the perfect illustration of what's wrong with this team. Oh, my God. That they elevated the pastor, right? A preacher arrives and, and they decide, no, 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 uh, Father. Yeah. You could stop reading the Bible and start reading the playbook. That's outrageous. Is there a better example of the Peter principle of someone promoted to their level of incompetence than Jack Easterby? No, that's the perfect example. Look at the roster. It's horrible. It is really, really bad. Look at the roster. And why are you adding players like Mark Ingram to this roster when you know it needs to be blown up? Why wouldn't you give young players an opportunity to flash and accrue value. Mark Ingram can't accrue any value on that roster. He is a dead asset on this roster, and all I'm seeing are dead assets. Tyrod Taylor can't improve his asset value. Neither can Chris Conley. Why are you acquiring Anthony Miller? I have no idea. Right. The one strength of this team is their tackle group. Their offensive tackles are the only above-average unit on this entire roster. I mean, the defense has Whitney Merciless, and Bradley Roby, but he's suspended for at least a game. It's a disaster. It's the worst defense, one of the worst offensive lines, the worst receiving core, and the worst backfield and the worst starting quarterback. I mean, the backfield, again, Mark Ingram, David Johnson, Mm -hmm. Philip Lindsay, Rex Burkhead. Their average age is 29 years old. If you're a franchise that has come to terms with your rebuild, then you would have the exact opposite players on your running back depth chart. Yeah. It would be all young players. It would be rookies and second-year players, and the same with the wide receiver core, where you'd be saying, hey, Nico Collins, you can start week one, as opposed to rolling out Chris Conley in week one. What are you doing? A big part of the procedural issues in the NFL, right, is logically it makes sense for a team like the Rams before the, the Sony Michelle trade. To trade someone like a Jake Funk or a Xavier Jones for a Philip Lindsay or for a Mark Ingram or somebody that can help them now, right? And Houston gets a developmental prospect that they, that you know other teams liked and that actually got drafted, and you know we go on and down the line that way, right? But I think the big problem for Houston is there's no direction, there's no unified voice, clearly, there's no strategy, there's nothing, there's nothing. Cal McNair has since owning the team alienated. J.J. Watt, DeAndre Hopkins, his franchise left tackle. God, to to say this out loud seems insane, but 
the Houston Texans, on top of having maybe the worst defense in the league, maybe the worst offense in the league, have probably the worst front office in the league. And these things are not by accident. They lucked into Deshaun Watson and then let every other tangible piece of their organization go. All of them. Like, if you want an an example of bad process, it's letting your franchise left tackle go to Seattle and then trading two first-round picks for a comparable player. How did that happen? Incompetence. This is what happens when an owner gets too involved in something that he has no idea about. Cal McNair needs to sell this team. Because Cal McNair is the one that elevated Jack Easterby? Yes. He's the reason that everybody else from the prior regime is gone. Cal and Jack are just doing whatever they want to do in that front office. And Do you think that Nick Casario, who they brought in from the Patriots just because they want to try to emulate the Patriots and they want to get a guy that peed next to Bill Belichick at a urinal, the wafting odor of the Patriots franchise, just bring that guy in somehow and just having him around will give off some of that Patriots energy to our team? Yeah. If you do that, you have to bring him in and empower him. Does he have the power there? No, he does not. No, he does not. Because if he had the power, right, the big issue with the Texans right now is there's a gigantic cloud hanging over their head in Watson. I get that. I'm not saying that we expect them to be competitive. That, ha- that has nothing to do with this. Give me something on your roster that I can be excited about in the future. Anything. Your running backs are a collective average age of 29. You might start Tyrod Taylor over Davis Mills. We know what Tyrod Taylor is. He's a very capable backup. He's a serviceable spot starter. He's a very good football player. He's one of the 50 best quarterbacks in the world. Okay? There's, there's no question about that. What do you have in Davis Mills? You have no idea. Because right now, he's going to be throwing to wide receivers that probably shouldn't be on NFL rosters instead of Nico Collins, right? Like, Brandon Cooks is great, but the, the bottom end of that receiver core is not great. It's not great. Um, I don't even know who their tight ends are. Does anybody know who the Houston tight ends are? Jordan Akins and Brevin Jordan. Two Jordans. Yeah. But there was a Michael Jordan. That must mean they're good. Brevin Jordan from Miami could be a fun little piece. It's just like, it's very hard to get excited about anything related to Houston right now. And I think that's why you have to start at Davis Mills and figure out, hey, like, if we have to move on from Deshaun Watson, is this our guy? The big question is, what can they get back for Deshaun Watson, right? Because they're asking, Casario is asking for the moon and the sky because he knows this is the only piece of his roster that's worth anything. Who who on the Houston Texans roster do you want as another team? Brandon Cooks. That's about it. Like like I I don't know how you're going to go about acquiring draft capital other than have what what you have other than what you get back from Watson. And that's why I think that's so important. What can you get back for him? I don't know. I think two first is going to end up doing it. So it's it's the classic over ask to start negotiations to make sure you don't take eighty cents on the dollar. You ask for 120 cents on the dollar. They come back for 80 cents on the dollar, and then you meet in the middle at a dollar for a dollar. That's how they're hoping it's going to play out. That or if they're – because the thing is, at this point, I wouldn't put it past Cowell and Jack to be just that stubborn that they want three firsts in two seconds. (laughs) Guys, nobody's going to give you that (laughs) for a guy who who we don't know. A a year and a half from now, if it's all sorted out, yeah, you could probably get three firsts out of somebody. You probably could, but you can't wait a year and a half to move them. No. Right now, he's on their 53-man, just going inactive week after week. Like, what the incompetence of this front office is, frankly, incredible. When do you think it's going to happen? When do you think they're finally going to come to Jesus, right? Did, did, did you get the reference? Yeah. 
Jesus? Uh, he's a preacher. Jack. Jack, you gotta come to Jesus. Oh, my God. Take the two first and move on, dude. And make him Philly's problem or Miami's problem or Denver's problem or someone else's problem, right? Because the, the major issue you have here is you have a preacher as your EVP of football ops. <laughs> you have an owner that has no idea what he's doing. You have Nick Casario, whose poor self has been thrust into the middle of all of this. David Culley's never been a head coach before. Deshaun Watson is potentially either going to start week one for you or potentially be in jail. Like, what are we doing here? Like, please explain to me how any of this makes any kind of sense. It doesn't. There's, there's nothing about this that makes any kind of sense. They are the exact opposite of Kansas City. The exact opposite. And the fact that two years ago... They were in a playoff game together where Houston was up 24 to nothing going into the middle of the second quarter is beyond my my grasp. How did we get here? Amazing. How did we get here? I don't know. I don't know. It took two years, by the way. It took two years from 24-0 lead over Super Bowl champion Patrick Mahomes to we may go 0-17. Okay, so if Houston is the worst run franchise, is Las Vegas the second worst? They're in that conversation. Um, it's... The Davis family has a very particular way of doing things, right? Like you'll notice more than any other team, the Raiders will draft whoever they want to draft. They don't care about the board at all. If, the, if our guy is there, we're taking him. We don't care if he's a fourth-round prospect or a first-round prospect. We're just going to take him. Well, that's really stupid. It's not good. How are you supposed to get any value? You're, you're, you're minimizing the value of any given pick, and then over time, if you keep taking second-rounders in the first round and third-rounders in the second round, Eventually, you're going to bleed your team of talent, and you're going to look up, and you're not going to be competitive. Yeah. And you're going to be out of a job. It may take another three years for Gruden to finally get fired because he's guaranteed all this money out into the future, signing a 10-year deal. But at some point, the Davis family is going to look at this and say, okay, he has four years left. We can eat the remainder of this contract just to move on. We all love Mike Mayock, right? He does a great job. He did a great job at ESPN. You think he's been Nick Casario'd? Was he the original Nick Casario? Was he essentially subverted by John Gruden at every step? I think Davis and Gruden have had their bromance for far too long. And obviously Mayock came in later. And I, I, it's a weird fit to begin with. But that, that roster, it's, it's not Houston. There's talent there. There's a lot of things to like about the Raiders. It's just what, what direction are you going in, right? We can have a discussion about Derek Carr. He's perfectly serviceable, right? Nobody thinks he's terrible. He's, he's a serviceable NFL quarterback. At worst, he's serviceable. At best, he's pretty good, right? That being said, Darren Waller, really fun piece. Josh Jacobs, really good running back. We like Brian Edwards, right? We, we, we like a lot of the things that they have going on on offense. But you just imploded your entire O-line overnight for no reason. Literally overnight. I think they're really starting five new guys this year that they didn't have last year, which is unfathomable for a team that has any aspiration to do anything. And I, I think that, that there's there's just such a disconnect from, you know, Al Davis, Gruden, Mayock, to what they want to accomplish, right? Because, I mean, since Gruden's been there, they haven't even made the playoffs. Like, we're not, we're not asking you to win Super Bowls. Just, you know, the Chargers have been bit by the injury bug. Denver's been looking for a quarterback. Like, the opportunity to, to be the second team in this division to Kansas City has been there over and over and over again, and they just haven't seized any of that opportunity. And the defense, they keep throwing draft pick after draft pick after draft pick at, and some of them hit and some of them don't, but most of them end up off the team. 
a lot of them don't get to a second contract. It's just, it's so odd to kind of view their last five years. And, and to, to contextualize it, it, it just doesn't make any sense. Like, I, I don't think that they're terrible. I don't think that they're bad. I just think that they didn't improve on what they had much at all, right? And that's kind of the way that you go by the wayside. And that's how you go from, you know, an 8-8 and eight team to a 6-10 and 10 team to a 4-12 team really, really quickly is everybody else is getting better at pretty much every position. If you're staying stagnant, yikes. Well, they're getting worse. Their offensive line went from one of the best to now below average. Yeah. Overnight. I still don't understand what that was about. Like, see, it's stuff like that where everybody, like, whether you're a football guy, an analytics guy, you know, a coach, whatever it is, everybody was on Twitter like, yo, what are you guys doing? This doesn't even make sense. And, of course, the Raiders being the Raiders said, screw it, we're going to do it anyway. They're going to have a perpetual losing record as long as John Gruden is there because he doesn't understand the fundamentals of building a franchise and a roster from the ground up to take a below average talent profile across the board to above average. Like that's that's the goal. That's your goal as a general manager and head of player personnel is how do we take a team with below average talent across the board to above average across the board? How do we become the Browns? Well, we could follow the model the Browns did. The Browns did it by acquiring picks and trading down, acquiring picks and trading down, and taking the best player at the most valuable position that impacts games at particular draft slots, where you take a Miles Garrett, who, as you mentioned, is second most valuable position other than quarterback on the football field. Yeah, and uh, the, the weird part about the Raiders is they will sometimes take the right position but the wrong guy. Like I think they took Cleveland Farrell, number four overall, like – where did that come from? Who thought that was a good idea? Well, none of their first-round picks have been any good. Like, Josh Jacobs is the only one that I can think of. It wasn't a good pick, though. No. He was, by our advanced metrics, the worst first-round running back in league history. Really? According to the, the data points that predict performance at the NFL level, Josh Jacobs was the worst first-round running back in a long time. I think if you go back far enough, there's there's running backs that were worse. But, for example, the signals that were emitted by a Trent Richardson or even a Rashad Penny were stronger than what you were getting from Josh Jacobs, who was a backup his entire career at Alabama. Yeah. And then he came in and he wasn't athletic. Yeah. So l- l- let me get this straight. You weren't a monster producer and you're not that athletic. What? Yeah. And, I mean, he had success early. Yeah, he had success based on volume. If you're going to give him all the carries because he was a first-round pick, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. That's why our Breakout Finder app puts maximum premium on running back draft capital, especially first-round draft capital. Unless you're a Rashad Penny, it's very difficult to fail as a first-round pick. And especially if you go to a, a team that wants to prove that their pick was the right pick, then... All you need to do is stay healthy and you break out. That's a fulfilling prophecy for Najee Harris this year then, right? I mean, they're going to feed him over and over and over again. So let's talk about the final team on this list of bad teams heading in the wrong direction, which is just, it's such a fuck you to the fan base, where not only are we going to be bad, it's also going to be apparent to you that we're not going to be good for a very long time. Like in Houston, you don't need to bring in a quarterback like Cam Newton to satiate the fan base, they already know. There's no delusions. Yeah. In Houston, they know they're going to be awful. In New England, 
the fan base was engaged and wanted to prove Tom Brady wrong. Yeah. So you bring in Cam Newton. That's fine. In Houston, the fan base is under no illusions. They didn't even have to bring in Tyrod Taylor. They could have just said, hey, we're going to give the ball to Davis Mills, and we're just going to see what happens, man. But, again, they have no strategy, and they have no direction. Atlanta is another interesting case in that you heard rumors that they were going to put Matt Ryan on the block because they had come to terms with the fact that they needed to rebuild. And then someone, somewhere stepped in and said, no, 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 we're keeping Matt Ryan. We're not going to draft Justin Fields. We're not going to draft Trey Lance if he's available. This is Matt Ryan's team. Yeah. And, and it's like, wait, 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 wait. Dude, if someone somewhere is speaking up and overriding whoever had the right idea, which is let's start blowing it up now like they did in Detroit, whoever was about to push that button in Atlanta was overridden. It's like the movie scene where the supervisor comes around over the shoulder of the lieutenant who's about to push the button and just closes yeah. the door on the button and, and locks it and makes it impossible to push. Yeah, and I think a big part of this too is Arthur Smith probably had some kind of say here. As a first-year head coach, he probably went in and said, hey, I want Matt Ryan here, which, look, I mean, they're not completely direct at talent. It's it's not like they're they're horrifically far away from competing. It's just you're in a division with New Orleans and Tampa and Carolina all of whom seem to be ascending at the moment. And I think that the big problem here is Kyle Pitts as a draft pick is a luxury that they just didn't have, right? Like, like I, I, I understand why they did it. I think, it, it, you know, it, it makes somebody happy. And Terry Fontenot, who's their new GM, was with Mickey Loomis for years and years and years. I, I think what you're going to figure out at some point is, you know, they're going to ride or die with Matt Ryan. And um, I think that... that pr- they think that he is a Hall of Fame caliber quarterback. I think the last few years of Matt Ryan's career are going to kind of look like the last few years of Eli Manning's career, where they're trying to build around him, they're trying to build around him, they're trying to build around him, and then they just realize you just can't. The windows don't line up anymore. Why didn't they trade him? Because I, it, it's tough. For, it's tough to move off of a franchise quarterback, especially one that's won an MVP. That, and look, like Matt Ryan has up and down years, but like. Matt Ryan's never been bad, right? And, and that's really hard to get rid of as a front office, and as especially as a new head coach and a new GM. All you need to do, you don't even have to trade him now then. Don't trade him now. Just take fields. Just take fields, and then it forces the issue. Just like Andrew Brandt in Green Bay. You take Aaron Rodgers, it forces the issue. Yep, yep. That's what they should have done, right? Like, there's no, there's not really a whole lot of defensible positioning for the Kyle Pitts draft pick. Like, I, I love the kid, and I think that he is the best tight end prospect ever. Like, even if he hits, logically, it doesn't make any sense. Well, it doesn't move the needle if he hits. Tight end doesn't move the needle like quarterback does. And they only had, oh, Justin Fields and Mac Jones available to them. The greatest preseason by a rookie of all time was just achieved by Mac Jones, and Justin Fields was one of the best quarterback prospects in the pipeline we've ever seen. Yeah, and and the the whole discussion, right? Like, because I, I think that there was there was some chatter that they wanted Trey Lance, and he wasn't there. I get it. Oh my god, getting anchored to one specific prospect, and if he's not there, it changes your entire calculus on the entire draft and your entire franchise, especially at pick number four. If that is the case, yeah. If they would have gone Lance but wouldn't go Fields or Mac Jones, that points to 
a complete misunderstanding of how rosters should be constructed and managed. Yeah. It points to a complete, utter lack of any strategy whatsoever. Justin Fields is from Atlanta. I don't even care. Either you go into it thinking we're moving off Matt Ryan here one way or the other, and it starts by getting a new quarterback, or we're going to tie this franchise to Matt Ryan and his mediocrity for the next three years. We're going to be the we're going to be the Giants. And the funny thing is, that's what the Giants do. The Giants did that. They wanted Devontae Smith. When he wasn't there, they changed their entire first round strategy and traded down, which was actually a smart move, only to draft one of the worst wide receivers ever drafted in the first round. It's just how they do things, man. It's like, oh, we can't take Devontae Smith. Oh, we're going to change everything now. Matt Ryan is a lot better than most people will give him credit for. Even now he is. But he's not going to elevate pieces around him. Game's changed, Don, and game's changed. You can't be Matt Ryan anymore. It's not good enough. You can't just be a pocket passer does everything well. You either need to be a supercomputer back there like Mac Jones, or you need to have mobility. And I think that the Matt Ryan thought experiment kind of... You traded Julio Jones. You traded Julio Jones. Well, that's the thing, right? Right. If you really did want to win and you cared about winning, then you wouldn't have traded Julio Jones. That's why this is the most schizophrenic, non-rebuild rebuild I've ever seen. Yeah, it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It was the most nonsensical thing of the offseason to not draft Matt Ryan's replacement and then trade Julio Jones. Yeah, that made no sense to me. Because Matt Ryan's 36. Yeah, he's not getting any younger. And it's, it, look, like Matt, Ryan's, Matt Ryan was plenty good enough to win, and he may be good enough to win you some games going forward. It's just your defense needs a complete overhaul, right? Like, there's so much more to this than, like, who was our quarterback. The thing is, Matt Ryan is not going to be able to win you games by the time the roster is ready to win games. Like, that's therein lies the problem. Like, Julio Jones propped afloat Matt Ryan for so long. And Matt Ryan, I think, is still really good. That's just my two cents. Matt Ryan has finished outside the top 15 in both deep ball completion percentage and pressured completion percentage the last two seasons. I mean, they have Calvin Ridley, right? You have your number one wide receiver. I would understand the Kyle Pitts pick if you needed a number one wide receiver, but you have Calvin Ridley. Like, I, nothing about that that draft process makes any kind of sense to me. And the thing is, I like I really want Atlanta to be good, just because that fan base for so long has endured so much from the Michael Vick era to, to kind of almost get into the precipice with Matt Ryan and the 28-3 stuff. Atlanta deserves to win at some point. I do feel bad for Atlanta. I do. I feel horrible for Atlanta. The worst part of this is you could have brought the hometown kid home. You didn't like Trey Lance. Is Justin Fields not just Trey Lance, but played at Ohio State instead of North Dakota State? Like, like please explain to me what Trey Lance can do that, that Justin Fields cannot. And when you go into this and you kind of push back further, you're, you're talking about bringing a Georgia kid home to Atlanta. You can let Matt Ryan play out the entire season if you want to, or you could trade him. Somebody's going to need Matt Ryan. You know where Matt Ryan would be great right now? Washington. They desperately need someone, right? Like, there are teams right now that could use a Matt Ryan. It's weirdly, it's just weird that Atlanta's not one of them. Can you imagine Carolina with Matt Ryan? Oh, right. Baby. Oh, right. baby, can you imagine Carolina with Matt Ryan? Oh, my God. That's how Terrace Marshall could be unlocked in year one. Yeah. And the the big problem that I have with how Atlanta is going about this is if you believe in Matt Ryan, then please, for the love of God, fix the defense. Don't go get him a tight end. 
Kyle Pitts could be impossibly great. Is he going to be worth a top four pick in a draft? Probably not. Because if Justin Fields and Mac Jones hit, you're going to have to sit there forever questioning your process. It's like we talked about. Chicago, when they drafted Mitchell Trubisky, had the position right. At At least we can live with that. They had the position right. Atlanta didn't have the position right, didn't have the draft capital right, didn't have the right... There is nothing about their draft this... Uh, their first-round pick this year that makes any kind of sense. And if you don't go Justin Fields, Mac Jones, you go Penny Sewell. If you don't go Penny Sewell, you go Rashawn Slater. If you don't go Rashawn Slater, you go Patrick Sertan. You don't go Kyle Pitts. Kyle Pitts is so far down the list of priorities because the tight end does not impact wins and losses the way quarterback and left tackle and cornerback do if you believe in Matt Ryan Penny Sewell was the right pick and I and I don't think see that therein lies my issue get Penny Sewell keep Julio Jones and and try to win a Super Bowl then whatever whatever yeah anything is better than this toe in toe out toe in toe out toe in toe out of the water rebuild if we're being honest it's an accidental rebuild they're rebuilding by accident Yes. They're going to end up rebuilding, but it's none of it's going to be on purpose. It wasn't intentional. They're going to finish 4 and 13 this year. Yeah. And they're and the rebuild is going to be forced upon them. Yeah. And and the thing is too, right? So, let's say they drafted Penny Sewell and not traded Julio. Penny Sewell, Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, Russell Gage, Matt Ryan is still better than Matt Ryan, Calvin Ridley, Russell Gage, Kyle Pitts. Well, then you don't need to draft a lineman in the third round because they drafted a lineman in the third round from Michigan. They didn't need to do that. They took Jalen Mayfield. So instead of Jalen Mayfield from Michigan, you go Penny Sewell, and then you can take the best available defender, whoever Rick Spielman drafted. Yeah, right. So whoever Rick Spielman drafted, you just draft that guy. You draft Chaz Surratt then. You want to improve the defense? Go Chaz Surratt. I just look for whoever, whoever, whoever my man drafted. Yeah. That's what they should have done. It's a very weird situation that Atlanta's in because you're telling us that you believe in Matt Ryan while drafting the complete opposite. So I don't, I don't mm. get it. Mm-hmm. I, I don't understand. If you believe in Matt Ryan, you don't trade Julio Jones. If you believe in Matt Ryan, you take Penny Sewell. Um, and if you don't believe in Matt Ryan, you take Justin Fields. So what are you trying to tell us by taking Kyle Pitts? That you have no idea what you're doing? Like This is a luxury pick. This is the pick that you make... If you are Seattle, or if you're Kansas City, or if you're Green Bay, and you you just get to have fun because you've already built your roster, right? Right, right. You you don't get to do this if you're Atlanta and the team that won that won the NFC Championship and got to the Super Bowl. If they did this the year after that, so be it. Whatever. Right now is not the time that you have the luxury to make a pick like that. You also have to scout your conference. Look at this NFC. It is as talent-rich as I've ever seen a conference. Yeah, it's nuts. The NFC East has Washington and the Cowboys surging. Yep. The NFC North has Aaron Rodgers going for his last dance. Chicago improved. Minnesota vastly improved. The NFC South, your own division. Loaded. Is an impossible gauntlet to run with Tom Brady at the top. And the NFC West is the most difficult division of all to take down with the 49ers, Cardinals, Seahawks, and Rams should all have winning records. How the hell are you going to post a winning record against that conference? You can't. You can't. And and knowing that, you need to draft accordingly. 
and plan accordingly. And they're not doing that. Because the plan should have been, if you're Atlanta, the plan is you draft Justin Fields and then you ship Matt Ryan out next year, right? You let him start this year. You let Justin get his feet wet a little bit, throw him in in a couple games. And then next year, you, you take the Mahomes approach, right? Exactly what they did with Alex Smith and Mahomes. Because I think Matt Ryan is a respectful enough guy that he would understand, hey, my time here is up. Like, I'm going to see the job of this rookie. I, I think that he would handle that well. And then you, you trade him. Like, obviously, I don't think they would ever trade him to Carolina. They're not going to trade him to a division rival. No, I'm just saying, what would what, what it look like? I'm saying that's, that's an ideal fit. When you look at the NFC, you can almost guarantee that Atlanta will be in the bottom four. Yeah. They're not going to finish worse than Detroit because De- Detroit knows what they're doing. They're yep. they're rebuilding with a purpose. They know they need to tank this year, so they're going to go out yep. and make sure they lose more games than Atlanta because they have a plan. Beyond Detroit, you could argue Atlanta looks like the second-worst team. It's either Atlanta or Philadelphia or the New York Giants or the New Orleans Saints. The New Orleans Saints could blow up spectacularly this year. Oh, I'm so excited to see Jameis. It might be the Giants with Daniel Jones imploding. Yeah. The Philadelphia Eagles have a talent-deficient roster across the board. There's a handful of candidates, but Atlanta's right there at the top in terms of who's going to be second worst to Detroit in the NFC this year. Yeah. As weird as it is, of the 16 teams in the NFC, I think 10 have a shot at the playoffs, and we're discussing among the, the, you know, those bottom six. But those 10 are so much better than the bottom six that I don't, the bottom six are probably mostly going to beat each other. I don't think they're going to beat any of those top tier teams. Because look, like, the Cardinals may finish last in the NFC West. They may finish last. They're better than every team we just named by leaps and bounds. There's no question. Like, there is no, I do not see on a given Sunday the Giants beating Arizona. The, the Falcons beating Arizona. I, I, like, and they may be the worst team in their division. Like, I, I just, I don't know what you do if you're Atlanta right now. You're in a very weird spot, and you had, you had the lottery ticket for a Justin Fields, and you didn't take it. So I don't know what you do. I have no idea how to properly equate what they're doing right now. They stink. I have no idea how to properly equate what they're doing right now.
They stink. Yeah, they're not good. That's the show. <laughs> Gotta love Atlanta, man. It's too bad. I love Atlanta because I love their uniforms. I, I think do they too. have such sexy uniforms. The, and red and black and white just look so clean. Justin Fields in that uniform. Oh, my God. Justin Fields would have worn that uniform so well. It just yeah. would have been so sexy. It would have been the anti-Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan right. does such a disservice to that uniform by looking lanky and unathletic. There were, there were two guys Ugh. ever. I think there are two guys. There are two Falcons jerseys ever that I think are just, like, enshrined. Like, like Julio was cool, but I think Mike Vick, obviously, but Dion. The, the Dion Sanders Dirty Birds. Oh, I thought you were going to say Andre Risen. No, no, no. Deion Sanders, the, the all-black Dirty Birds jersey is, to me, that is my favorite NFL jersey of all time. Has been letting Ananno on Twitter. Follow him at Ananaduri. Or no, I'm so glad we're not streaming. It's Nanduri NFL, right? You traded Julio Jones. That's why this is the most schizophrenic, non-rebuild rebuild I've ever seen. You have a preacher as your EVP of football ops. The greatest preseason by a rookie of all time was just achieved by Mac Jones. Justin Fields is from Atlanta. Why didn't they trade him? Twisting their mustaches. He's not getting any younger. Take the two first and move on, dude. You have a preacher as your EVP of football ops. You could stop reading the Bible and start reading the playbook. You traded Julio Jones. There was a Michael Jordan. That must mean they're good. You have a preacher as your EVP of football ops.